Good morning. It is Monday, December 9th, 7.26 a.m. I hope you all had a good week. I know I did. It was full of commerce and production. I've been sewing like crazy. Just one garment after the next. And the garments have been selling. And it feels so good. It's very life-affirming. Um, I've been doing this thing where you draw your life and you draw the type of life you want to have and I tried to do this exercise a a few years ago and I just wasn't in the right headspace for it and I decided to stick with it this time and I've drawn a few pictures in my shipping ledger that I can look back on and be encouraged by but one of the things that came up well there's a lot of things that came up in my drawings they're they're like a rudimentary drawings but there was a I did a Japan flag which I want to go to Japan and I also of course would like to find true love so you know hearts and that sort of thing stick figures <clears throat> kind of kissing whatever um, I'd like to, and then something came out that I didn't even, hadn't really acknowledged consciously was that I really want to design more stuff and kind of scale back the vintage aspect of my business and make things out of salvaged fabric. Just keep making stuff and have that be the majority of my business and it's going to probably take some time to get there probably a couple years but have drawing that out has been very insightful and encouraging Uh, so we'll see what happens I feel like the era of clothing that I sell is becoming less available and also very it's starting to fall apart I mean just time you know so I need to make sure that my business is built for expansion and that it's sustainable in a more long-term setting because I do feel pretty attached to the aesthetic and of the brand so I do want to encourage you guys to if you can bring yourself to do it, get out your paper and pencil or iPad, whatever, you know, some people draw on iPads and just draw a little sketch of your life, how you want it to be and look at it. It's powerful. Um, a lot of feelings came up too when I was drawing, like you should throw this away. Why are you doing this? You know, things like that kind of came up. And it was kind of hard to resist giving into those thoughts. But I, I just stuck with it. And I was I was like, you know what? I'm not going to throw, throw it away. It's just a drawing. Why am I making such a big fuss about this? I do drawings all the time. I design products and I execute those products. You know, it might be sound a little reductive, but 
maybe I could design aspects of my life and execute those, those events, you know, it really gave me food for thought. So if you guys are in the mix and you do a drawing, feel free to share with me, send me a text or something. I'd love to see your drawings. I got some really cool feedback, um, from several people. They want more history. At Thanksgiving, Leah was like, you know, I liked it when you did the history. What happened to the Mitfords? Well, you know what? I got really damn busy. And that little window of research, I think I was biting off more than I could chew. And also, I didn't have enough, and I still don't have much free time to to give the subjects the research that they deserve. However... While I've been sewing, I have been watching a lot of documentaries, listening to audiobooks, and I actually ordered have a, have a book on order on this subject. There's very few books on this subject, but it's a it's a, a subject which fascinates me, and it is a moment in modern history as well. So it only happened thirty years ago, and that is it happens to coincide with the holiday season. So I am working I am working on a series of of episodes on this subject. The subject is Nikolai and Elena Ceausescu. Now, I have cornered people at parties and driven them away from me when I all I want to do is just talk about the subject. So I'm like, why not just corner everyone right now and they could have the option of turning it off. But, you know, you asked for history. <laughs> here's what here's what I'm able to give you at this time. Okay, so um, for those of you that don't know, Nikolai and Elena Ceausescu were the uh, dictators there of Romania from 1967 until 1989. They were executed on Christmas Day by a firing squad. So I plan on executing the final episode of this series on Christmas Day. So you guys will get a very special, very, um, very juicy episode to listen to on Christmas. So those are my goals. And I will not I dare not disappoint my listeners on Christmas Day. It's ironic, though, that Nikolai and Elena were executed on Christmas Day because they had canceled Christmas during their rulership. Yeah, um, we're going to get more into that, but they were bad guys. They are so horrible. They were so horrible. Let's put it this way, that even though I am pretty sensitive to violence and that sort of thing, I actually was gleeful when I saw them being carried out and shot. That's that's how horrible these people were. I don't really know why the story of of their rule and their rise to power is of such fascination to me, but it just is, you know, so I'm going with it. I feel like I have maybe not met people that are dictators. <laughs> But I have 
encountered and been forced to deal with people of very low competence who are lazy, intellectually unsound, and cruel, who are in small positions of power, who take advantage of people. So I have met those type of people, and something about the story kind of has a whiff of that. So I'm going to use this episode, parts of this episode, to uh, talk about their birth and their birthplace. Romania as a country is about a little bit smaller than Germany. And it's composed of many tiny villages. The most famous being Transylvania, of course, home of Vlad the Impaler. Now, Vlad the Impaler, also known as Dracula, was not the only tyrannical, brutal, violent, bloodthirsty ruler in Romania. There's something in the soil. There's something about the hierarchical structure <coughs> excuse me <coughs> excuse me something about the hierarchical structure coming up born from serfdom in the feudal economy so to speak in the agrarian culture those fused into a very large disparity between the rich and the poor with a very, very small ruling class and the dehumanization of peasants. Now, that sounds like a word salad, but if you take tiny bites, you will understand what I mean. Because it's it's kind of, I know that sounds like a bunch of things strung together, but that's actually what it is, broken down in, in kind of a nutshell form. So this is this is the the type of of tradition that laid the groundwork for communism to come in and take over. However, Nikolai and Elena were born right around the Bolshevik Revolution, right right around the end of World War Two. Okay. Excuse me, World War One. Excuse me, World War One. Forgive me for that. Uh, Nikolai was born January twenty sixth, nineteen eighteen, and Elena was born January seventh, nineteen sixteen. Later, she would shave off about three years, and she would also say that she was born on May third, which is not true. I guess she wanted to seem younger and wanted her actual birth date to come after Nikolai so that he could be over three years older than her. Such was not the case. She was three years and 19 days older than him. So we'll, we'll get more into the that vanity cult. Nikolai was born in a little village called Skordachesti. 
His parents were Andruta and Alexandrina. He was the third of 13 children. Andruta, the father, was a known as the town drunk. That that didn't come that that information was actually suppressed by a uh, propaganda controlled media and that information about his true origin story did not come out until after they were were shot so yeah he was an alcoholic he was a wife beater he was also for the short time the mayor of Scornichesti so I think that kind of gives you an indication of the kind of town it was um he was a shepherd or coming from a kind of a when he did have work uh and when he did have livestock he had you know basically a small small farm and nikolai kind of just did his best to survive in the family there was actually the father was so drunk he named all the children after the fifth child there was another he named a, a, a second of his children Nikolai as well so that just kind of the house was the family life was just a mess and I saw some footage of the actual home where they where they lived and it's basically just this nasty little chicken coop of a shack um now that origin story was completely glossed over during the the reign of the Ceausescu's uh it was a you know an ennobled you know peasant cottage that was you know perfectly maintained and whitewashed and beautiful and you know they were a you know a family of of hard working you know communists and just delightful and and you know sharing the land and all that it was total bs they lived in squalor so yeah nikolai only had an elementary school education um he was not that good of a student to begin with in 1932, he went to Bucharest, which is kind of like at the time, which was like the Paris of Romania. It was a, a delightful and, and beautiful little city. He was not able, he was in way over his head. Um, he had, he was kind of of a slight build he wasn't too bright he really wasn't that cute honestly he has had this kind of sunken in face probably from malnutrition and he was a failure as a shoemaker's apprentice that was his his ticket out of out of a uh, squalor and he really just was incompetent he just was not good at it uh, so he turned to the Union of Communist Youth, which was a large organization. And this this organization was kind of like a, I would describe it as, as, a, as a big shark because 
there were a lot of pretty much before World War II there wasn't really a youth culture anywhere in the Western civilization, but there were a lot of youth organizations like a, like in, you know, North America, for example, there's 4-H, Future Farmers of America, Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts. Like those are, those are civil, you know, those are, um, those are civilian youth organizations, for example. Um, they're not reflective of the current the current uh, cultural status quo, but they do provide a platform for um, for young people. But um, before rock and roll and swing dancing and all that, um, youth culture was, teen culture wasn't really evolved into even what it was in the 50s. That was all new. That was all post-nuclear. So... There were all these other little organizations, let's say, you know, peasant, you know, peasants, you know, young peasants organizations or Christian peasants or um, Christian activists, you know, future future mothers of future mothers of Christian peasant activists, that sort of thing. So there are all these subsets and uh, the Union of Communist Youth kind of purged them so they first what they did is they made membership really easy to get in and made it seem very inviting and inclusive and then they then they would uh, get a lot of information on you and they would get all your records and then they'd kick you out of the organization if you were let's say a Christian or if you were a peasant or if you had served in the iron guard or if you had anything in your past that they found out about you that they'd purge you and um once you've been blacklisted from the communist youth then it's really hard to get a job it's um you know basically it messes up with grown-up life so it's different than getting kicked out of 4-H or boy scouts um you may have, you know, you may have a much harder time professionally, but that was one of the aspects of this form of communism. They would eradicate private civil life, and this model would serve as a prototype for how uh, uh, Nikolai and Elena Ceausescu eventually ruled Romania. So that's why I'm mentioning it now. So... He was jailed in, let's see, he was jailed in the early 40s for 30 months at Daftana prison. And this was due to to Nikolai joining a kind of a sub-faction, an underground counter-communist, communist counter-resistance party. So there was a lot of infighting in the communist party, and they, and so it was pretty common for, uh, for factions to build up and rebel. If they're, you know, if you kick out enough people, they're going to start their own club, and that's the way the cookie crumbles. That's something that you can't foresee until, until you do it. So, 
Um, yeah, you kick enough people out of your club, they're going to have their own damn club. So maybe don't kick so many people out of the club. Um, so Nikolai was found out, sentenced to 30 months. There he met Jorge Jorgudej, uh, who was the future... Who, who would be the future leader and uh, predecessor um, to Nikolai. So uh, Nikolai was kind of a toady in prison, and he got beaten up a lot. He got beaten up so bad, and he was so physically and emotionally traumatized by the harsh conditions in the prison that he developed a stutter. A lot of people say that he had a speech impediment before, and maybe he did have one that was, you know, he was able to to kind of mask and maintain. But uh, the stutter, he just couldn't shake it after he left prison. Um, it, it turned him into a nervous, a nervous, paranoid little creature. And that, that comes into play later. This was happening while World War II was happening. So he was he was in prison for for the latter half of World War II. In 1944, the Allies had kind of gotten a stronghold on things and he managed to escape from prison. And that's when he became he began his climb to power. And Georges Dej made made him a brigadier general in 1945. So he went from being a a very low on the totem pole peasant to a general in, in a communist ar- army. So it's a, if you think about it, it's a fairly, he was 27 years old when this happened. Uh, during, before he, right before he went to prison, though, he met somebody very special to him, Elena Ceausescu. Her, her maiden name at the time was Petresti. And, oops, I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, one moment. Okay. Thanks for bearing with me. So, Elena Petrescu was born in Petresti, about 200 miles away from Scornicesti, where Nikolai was born. Her parents were Ney and Alexandrina. Uh, so, both of them had, both Nikolai and Elena had mothers named Alexandrina which is very interesting to me personally. Uh, The father was a plowman, but he was known in the village as being fairly lazy and conniving at the same time. And what he did was he just rented, he gave up on the plowing and ended up just kind of being a kind of a half lord, if you will, uh, renting out plots of his land his small his small land to uh, other peasants below him for them to plow because he just didn't want to do it anymore um 
and then they had like a little kind of convenience store in their house. So it's hard to say who lived in less squalorous conditions. I'd say Elena had slightly better, slightly better uh, quality of life. She too only had a elementary school education. Now, her records were hidden under floorboards for many, many years during the Ceausescu regime. I'm surprised they didn't, they weren't forced to just burn them. Now, the reason why her school records were hidden is because when the Ceausescu's ruled, Elena would force all the scientists in in the field of chemistry to write papers for her and then she would sign her name to them and act like she wrote them. We know we all know we've all met somebody or had to deal with somebody who's taken credit for our work. And boy does it suck. But can you imagine being a you know at the top of your field and having some ignorant and and boorish person tell you that you're going to write a paper, a science paper, and then you're going to give them the paper and they're going to sign it and then it's going to be their paper. Can you imagine? It's ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. Um, it's something like, it's so stupid too. It's so fucking stupid. You know, so she would, she demanded all these honorary degrees and she was not allowed to really be the, like, the vice president, so to speak. Uh, In the Communist Party, there is room for advancement with women, but once you get to a certain rank, it, it gets pretty chauvinistic and traditional. And so Elena turned her her power acquisition to the field of academia. And her legend, kind of her mythology, was that she was a very well-regarded chemist. That's bullshit. She was basically kicked out of elementary school for bad behavior and poor grades. The, the poor grades were trumped by her laziness and her and just her she just had all these bad marks I saw her report cards it was it was just pathetic how how bad of a student she was and how many fights and altercations she got into she also looked like a rotten fucking potato and I know that's not nice to say Um, and I'm all for, you know, seeing the beauty in people, definitely, and, you know, everybody has their, their things about themselves that they don't like, but she was not a looker, and she knew it, and she was very resentful of everyone, and I suspect that's where a lot of her fights came in, because she didn't like anyone who was smarter than her. She didn't like anyone who was prettier than her. And guess what? 
a lot of people were smarter than her and a lot of people were prettier than her. Pretty much everybody. I mean, I don't, I'm trying to think of someone, just think of the most plain Jane person that you can think of and she is like 10 times less attractive than that person. Everyone looks like a movie star next to her. Um, so yeah, I am bringing all this up because yeah, under the regime, regime, they suppressed that information and I don't know why they held onto the records, why they just didn't destroy them and make new fake records. Um, but I think what happened is maybe a teacher in, in the province, um, held on to those records and just hid them and said that they had been destroyed because they were so hated. You have no idea how much these people were hated. Oh God. And it was, they all brought it on themselves. So Elena goes to live with her brother, which there's very little information. I wasn't able to find out how many siblings she had or the names of the siblings, but she goes to, uh, Bucharest to live with her brother and she finds work as a lab assistant at a at a pharmacy and she gets fired from that job for incompetence and she probably like broke like a bottle of ether or something you know it's it's funny because that's where that's where she launched the whole mythology of her being a famous chemist she actually wasn't one she worked as a like, you know, the bottom of like the bottom of the barrel assistant, probably sweeping floors at a chemist's. And then then she went on to be a textile factory worker where they glossed that over. It said that she was a master embroiderer. And <laughs> I took offense to that because I was like, you know, I don't think that you can sew. She joined the Bucharest branch of the Communist Party, and that's where she met Nikolai in 1939. And apparently, it was love at first sight. And Nikolai was very attracted to Elena. Despite her plainness, he struck up a romance with her, and Elena was delighted. She was really hoping to meet a husband. It was one of her life's goals was to meet a husband. Um, And so therefore she did. Now, when you are in the Communist Party at that time, your every aspect of your life was monitored and it was also it was kind of regimented for you. So they had to get approval to even see each other. And I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> it was like, you look at these two troglodytes and, and I have a feeling they're like, sure. Why don't you guys get together? That sounds like a great idea. There, there is a a theme of self-aggrandization, self-aggrandization, self-importance, and and lack of self-awareness that follows this couple everywhere they go, and and the way that it unfolds is disastrous and also sometimes hilarious.
So they struck up their romance in 1939, but Nikolai just kept getting into prison and into trouble, so they didn't marry until 1947, so a couple years after. And I'm going to leave it at that. I think that's a, a pretty good... I think I've given you a pretty good synopsis of where these losers came from. And you know what? I just want to say something, uh, just to kind of counterpoint everything. It's okay to have to come from poverty. It's okay to not have a formal education. Um, it's okay to be from a dysfunctional family. It's okay if you have had a troubled you've been if you've gotten into trouble all those all that's okay but where you are now what you're doing now with your life how you choose to respond to the challenges that life gives you that is the true testament of who you are and being ashamed of where you came from and trying to hide your lack of education or trying to gloss over or puff up your background, it, it's always going to just lead to failure. So that's just kind of my counterpoint. I'm not ragging on Nikolai and Elena because they're from these, from these beginnings. But as the story unfolds, you will see how they tried to cover it up and also the brutal mistreatment of people who were had once been in the same circumstances as them. Anyway, I have got to start my day. I, the post office is about to open. I've got to go and grab a bunch of envelopes. Oh my God. I hope you guys have a great week. I look forward to bringing you the second chapter of this, of the Rise to Power. And thank you for all the feedback. Thank you to everyone who's been listening. I've People have been texting me with their, I guess, what they listen to on the Spotify. And, and they said that they're still listening to me. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you. And thanks, Tori. Thank you, Heidi, Dave, and all the other wonderful people. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye.